0: Hello and welcome to the New to Canada podcast, the show that shares honest, real-life stories and insider info from internationals living in Canada. I am your host, Kate Johnson, and I made the big move from England to Canada in 2017 after falling in love with a Canadian. Join me as I chat with fellow newcomers and learn all about where they are from in the world, why they chose Canada as their new home, and the lessons they've learnt along the way. It's great to have you. Sometimes a story comes along that every person on earth should hear. The story of Tarek Hadhad and his family is one of them. A once displaced Syrian refugee, Tarek is now a Canadian CEO and a public speaker who tours the country to inspire audiences, advocate for immigration, humanise refugees and share his family's incredible story of survival. In this episode, he walks us through his family's journey from a loving, peaceful, successful, happy life in their home city of Damascus to losing everything overnight and fleeing for their lives.
1: Because we were, we were a wealthy family living in Syria and we were supporting other people who were living in poverty and those who did not have much. But then when we lost everything and we were just trying to escape and trying to survive, That has taught us more than what I could have ever imagined. Whatever you're living through, if you don't get your double double at Tim Hortons, (laughs) if your coffee is cold, if you are stuck in a traffic jam on the 401, if you are living whatever through, this is not a struggle. Trust me. Uh, you know, we have to count our blessings. We have to think about those who really don't have, don't have much. And, uh, that was really, that's what the refugee journey has taught me.
0: After three years as refugees with little opportunity or hope, Tarek and his family were offered a second chance to start again in a small town in Nova Scotia, Canada. Listen to hear Tarek's journey to becoming Canadian, the whirlwind of support and love he's experienced from his new home, and how he and his father have built their successful chocolate company, Peace by Chocolate, so that they can give back to those less fortunate than them. You'll have to excuse the first five minutes of this episode as I was very excited to be speaking with him and may have been a little (laughs) starstruck. I mean, they've just turned his family story into a movie and he's recently been awarded Queen Elizabeth II's Platinum Jubilee Medal. So, without further ado, here is the wonderful Tarek Hadhad. before we start, here is your quick reminder to officially join the Newcomer Collective. It's completely free. You'll be the first to receive brand new podcast episodes, discounts, newcomer resources, as well as the pre-sale of my upcoming product launch. (laughs) It's all very secretive still, but trust me, you are going to love it. I wish that I had this exact thing when I first moved to Canada back in 2017. So to sign up to get notified, head to the newcomercollective.com slash join. That's the newcomercollective.com slash join. It's free and I cannot wait to welcome you over there. So let's get back to the show. Hi, Tarek. How are you doing?
1: I'm great. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yay. Thank you so much for being here. I'm uh, just recovering from a head cold that I had this week. So I've got a bit of a raspy voice going on, which is not ideal for podcasting. But hey, there was no way I was going to skip out on this interview. It's been in the works for a while. And um, yeah, I'm just so, so excited to, to have you on the show.
1: Well, you sound great. And thank you very much for having me. I'm really <laughs> excited to uh, share my own story with you.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. I, I really do appreciate it. As I know, you are one busy man, entrepreneur, CEO, <laughs> public speaker, immigration advocate. And um, yeah, you recently just got back from a trip in Dubai. So right. I see you speaking at so many events and inspiring, you know, senior politicians and all of that. So um, I'm honestly honoured that you're giving your time to the New to Canada podcast. It, it truly does mean a lot.
1: Thank you so much. The honor is mine. And, uh, as I was just, uh, telling you before we started recording, this is, uh, a great passion for me to keep sharing my story again and again and again. I know that the, the world, uh, certainly needs our light these days. Like, you know, there is so much happening in the world, so much negativity out there. And I truly believe that, uh, you know, everyone Everyone needs, um, our light and you never know really who you are going to inspire with your own story. So keep telling your story because none of us really are, our victims. We are all victors to, to, um, tell our own stories and to set the world on fire with our truth, right? This is what the world needs these days.
0: Absolutely.
1: So that's why I'm excited to be on every podcast, every podium. If you lose <laughs> me, you will find me behind the podium somewhere. So. <laughs> Yay.
0: Absolutely. And I actually did see you speak in person at an event in Toronto. I thought it was back in 2019, you know, when we didn't even think twice about, you know, rubbing shoulders with strangers and shaking hands at networking events. Yes, that's Um, right. But yeah, that feeling in that room from that audience was, oh, it was unforgettable. You know, you had people laughing and crying it all at the same time. And I honestly, yeah, I remember leaving just so inspired because it, it was that moment when i i truly realized how powerful it is to share the real life human experiences and stories behind immigration to put faces to these, you know, news headlines and these cold immigration statistics. And yeah, I just change the stigmas and and encourage kindness and all of that. So you're a big inspiration to me to this podcast project. And yeah, I'm blown away by your work. But yeah, enough of that. (laughs) I'm excited to introduce you to this this community of newcomers and yeah, hear more about you and, and your family story. So thank you so much again.
1: Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Really looking forward to, uh, again, uh, sharing uh, sharing my own story with, uh, with everyone here. And uh, yeah, let's dig into it.
0: Fantastic. So you are originally from Damascus, the, the capital of Syria, the oldest city in the world. Right. Let's, um, let's start with you telling us about your homeland, your, your memories from your childhood there. I'd love to, to hear it.
1: Well, I, um, I'm not sure if you, Kate, or the listeners have been to Damascus, have heard about Syria before the war. Unfortunately, right now everyone just um, remembers from Syria the the refugee crisis, the the victims of the the war that started in 2011 2012, and no one really kind of uh, goes back even for years before then, when the country was living in uh, relative peace um, before 2011. I remember. You know, having built so many beautiful memories with my family members and with everyone around me, especially celebrating the fact that Damascus is the most ancient city and most ancient and oldest inhabited city in the world. So mm-hmm. there is a beautiful kind of fusion and, uh, uh, the, the culture and the tradition that the, the Damascus people have developed. It's, uh, it's really based on every civilization that had touched on that land. And, uh, you know, there is so much to tell, but, uh, I can tell you until like tomorrow, really stories about how my family used to live, <laughs> how our culture kind of evolved from the places where, I mean, we people are so connected to the places where we are born. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people will come to me and say, well, you know what? We did not choose where we are born. We are, we choose where we live. And this is very true somehow, but the places where we are born shape us for our first, first years in life to become and, and kind of absorb these values. The human beings are like sponges. You know, we absorb everything around us within our environment, our culture, the people. Um, and there's so much values in Syria that, that we have celebrated my entire life. The sense of generosity, hospitality, the sense of supporting those who are fleeing wars around the country, the sense of, uh, being there for another, um, I know many, many Syrians, they, they did not have much growing up. I know that we were lucky to be in Damascus where everything was happening there. Every single business, culture, schools, healthcare, politics, everything was there. But people outside of Damascus were living, so many of them were living under poverty lines. I know a lot of Syrians did not have much, but they had each other growing up. And, uh, you know, my, my family, we were lucky to be growing up while we, we dreamed of changing the, the the world around us. When I was born, I started, you know, connecting to my own story and my own culture and my own family and how they wanted to see the country move forward and fix, you know, and do reforms and support those who were not so fortunate to build successful businesses or to get their kids into schools or, to have money even to do, um, to go to a private hospital. Uh, so we were, we, we were kind of really focusing on everyone around us, focusing on the people. And, uh, yeah, that has certainly been a huge part of the start of our journey and the start of our story. So our family's history actually goes back to, um, centuries in the city of Damascus. But what changed the trajectory of my family was actually my dad.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So my entire family were so involved in, in so much, uh, classic, uh, um, way of thinking and life and lifestyles. Like my, my grandfather was, uh, uh, a judge. Uh, my other, uh, you know, uncles and everyone in the family were kind of, uh, following that tradition of being engineers or, Getting their jobs somewhere uh, around the country. No one really wanted to start businesses. No one, everyone was scared of starting businesses. The entrepreneurial uh, mindset was not, was not there. Everyone had great ideas, but no one was turning those ideas into businesses. And then my dad, he was like, let me break that chain. He, uh, he really was thinking out of the box. And then he was like, I oh, think I can do something. And I think that business. Can be that vehicle where we change the people around us, not only our lives, but the lives of the people around us. My father's passion was about hiring people, was about offering jobs. It's like, you know, when he feels that he's contributing to someone else's life, this was the best feeling for him. And, uh, it kind of really changed the entire, you know, mindset for my entire family. It was, uh, it was like, you know, we are there not to take, but we are to, we're there to give. And we have one purpose of living one life. Every one of us has only one chance on this life. You know, we live up to, let's say, a 100 years. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to make it to the hundreds, but let's say we live up to a (laughs) 100 years. We have only a limited time on this planet. Mm -hmm. Every single step, every single decision we make counts. And my father actually planted that that seed in us. So we have to be very wise and very careful in every step we take in our early years because it's going to shape us. How many footsteps are we going to leave on this planet before we 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 leave it? And you know the the exciting part about my family is that my father he didn't know how to make chocolate before he came back to my grandmother, and then he told her that he was going to start a chocolate business. And she asked him why <laughs> you are going to start the chocolate business, and he <laughs> said, "Well, chocolate makes happiness. Everyone to eat chocolate will be happy." And it you know does. that Give was. The smart man. <laughs> exactly, and that was that was the main uh, that was the main connection between my father and the the his early days in the in the business is that he wanted to leave uh, very much of an impact into the society into his his own people, and later on in 1987, my father opened a few chocolate shops in the mask. He opened two first. And then um, he started really building uh, his customer base from there. And then later on, he got married to my mother. And then I was born. And, you know, when uh, when I was born, I remember living in Damascus in a building where it had 10 floors. And my grandmother was on the first floor. We were on the second floor. My uncles and my aunts and and everyone and my cousins, everyone was living in the same building. And the exciting part was, you know every uh, every weekend we used to share a meal together we used to share the supper wow. or on eid or iftars at ramadan or any celebration during the year we would go down and we would just plan something i remember the fun days we had around mother's day when you have 60 members of your family sitting down in your grandmother's house and having so <laughs> much fun and planning you know random gifts for 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 family members i i usually get uh, the worst gifts when I picked my random ones, so (laughs) I was not lucky. But it was so much fun, you know, that we were bonding as a family, that we were connecting and we were feeling that sense of peace and safety. Mm -hmm. On the business side, our business was growing really quickly in Damascus. I think it was 2006 when really the business has taken off and my father opened the second largest chocolate factory in the region. And I was exporting everywhere in the Middle East, you know, to... To Turkey, to Egypt, to Belgium. I mean, sending chocolate to Belgium—they don't really need it, but
0: we <laughs> I love that. We, f-
1: yes, yeah, but we felt that we have something unique and something remarkable. And the whole idea behind the chocolate thing—the the, when it started—it was based on, you know, my my father is a is a chocoholic, uh, and he <laughs> he he used to joke with us that uh, my grandmother used to go to him and say, "Isam." Last night there were two chocolate cakes in the larder, and now there is only one. Why?
0: Mm, and he would mystery. go and say,
1: "Yeah." He would go and say, uh, "It. It's sorry, mom. It must have been so dark I couldn't see the second one."
0: <laughs> so he would have. <laughs> what a missed opportunity! Darren. That's right.
1: So the business was was really growing because my father was so passionate about uh, you know living up to the values of the not only as business to build profit but business to to motivate people, business to contribute to communities and business to change the world to the better. And that's really what I remember.
0: Yeah. And I love that. To step away from, you know, what you were saying, you know, engineers and you yourself were interested in medicine and, you know, all of these kind of traditional career paths. And then your dad had that passion for helping others. And then he thought, just just to think out of the box that much to be, I'm going to open a chocolate factory, a chocolate business. I just absolutely love it. I think it's so magical. And also what you were saying about it's so true with all this dark news coming out of syria every day it has been for so long it's very easy for us outsiders to hear syria and to just picture in our heads you know a country of war and it's so important that you know you were just saying that all your family gathered together and sharing chocolate and sharing meals and building businesses and um yeah that's really important to share so yeah that's
1: absolutely absolutely no thank you for that i mean uh a lot of people just don't know, you know, um, about about uh, Syria, the the beauty before the war. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mission right now, and every Syrian's mission, was certainly to speak about how we used to live and how our lives were just before the war. And uh, that's why now, if you ask any Syrian, they would have this amazing passion for fighting for peace and, and spreading world peace because of how... We have seen that things can change and flip overnight. Um, mm-hmm. you know, because in Damascus, we didn't know that we were going to lose a factory in 2012. We didn't know that I was going to lose family members. I didn't know that I would be hearing, speaking to you from Nova Scotia on the East coast of Canada. Like within, uh, within a few years, our lives have just changed entirely, like 180 degrees. Yeah. Um, you know, from a person like myself was on the path to become a physician to becoming a CEO of a chocolate company in in Canada that was that was not the plan that was <laughs> that was now why why I what I actually have intended to do in my uh in my in my life especially in in these years but I am now feeling really excited that we as human beings we are so adjustable we are adaptable we can rebuild with the fortitude of resiliency that's inside each one of us and I think resiliency is that major value and that major aspect of every human being that, that so many people just forget. And during the war and after the war and one crisis after another, as we have lived through a, a, a pandemic, we have realized that, you know, many people just don't know how much powerful they are until mm-hmm. they hit that bottom of the bottoms. Because sometimes when we are at the peaks, we forget what it means to be at the bottom. And we are so scared of falling. And we are so scared of falling and failing. Because a lot of people just don't know that success actually comes from these lessons, right? And mm. it's like we do not lose. We either win or we either learn. So, we did not lose in that war. Um, you know, even though materialistically, yes, we have lost a factory. We have lost... Um, our house um, many things that i have been collecting you know i was very passionate about collecting stamps i spent 12 to 15 years of my life just collecting stamps and i remember having and building that amazing wall in our house in my in my uh in my room where everyone was visiting us was just coming to check that entire wall that is (laughs) that is built of just international and global stamps wow and and coins and international coins and you know anything everything that um, we have put our our uh, heads to in when we were young, um, um, that's really what I just I'm uh, so sad to lose. But anything other than that is certainly able to be rebuilt. Uh, as long as we are alive, we can do whatever we whatever we need to. And that's really the story of my family when we had to leave Syria in 2000 and. And uh, thirteen, it was um, it was kind of the decision that we had to make, and uh, it taught us many things about what it means to live as a resilient human being.
0: Definitely, and to just like what you said, you know, so many of us we're so incredibly privileged that we we haven't even experienced one one hundredth of a percent of what that might feel like your whole life to just change in a split moment and and completely against your will you know you were saying the life that you had was was wonderful and you had your business and you had your family and everything was fantastic and to you think you know oh I'm just going to immigrate to this country and you know the you know to be a refugee it's it's not their choice and to have that that whole life uprooted you know so unexpectedly is uh, we just can't even imagine it, so it is so important to to share your experience with us and so so after that happened you you went to Lebanon. you were a refugee there for for several years, right? What was That's that right. time like for for you and your family?
1: Uh, well, when I was born, I remember that my grandfather used to tell me uh, the the hardest thing other than death is immigration. It's like having to leave your homeland.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: then when the war started, I realized actually that I was put to practice to, to to my grandfather's code. So when I landed in Lebanon, I figured that as refugees, you know, we did not choose that situation because becoming a refugee or an immigrant is not a life goal. It's not a decision. It is not a choice. It is something that we are forced to live through. And it is not really about who we are. It is about what happened to us.
0: Mm-hmm. It becomes right. your identity, whether you want it to or not. right? Exactly,
1: exactly. And uh, and you you just it's a reminder that you are no one, and you don't belong anywhere, and you lost that sense of identity, and you lost mm. everything behind. So uh, that was really the the hardest the, the the harshest times for for our family. It's just thinking about the idea of becoming a refugee was so scary for us because. You know, as a as refugees, like you cannot go to school, you cannot build businesses, you cannot plan for your tomorrow. You almost lost sight and lost control of your entire life until you yeah. were able to go back to your homeland or find another home. Going back to Syria was impossible because the war was still going on. Or leaving Lebanon was also impossible for us because many countries were shutting down their borders uh, in the face of refugees. Many refugees were taking the risky trips from Lebanon to Turkey. And then from Turkey, they go on a boat and then they end up in Greece. And then they go on to, on their European journey. But mm-hmm. many did not make it. Many drowned in the sea and many of them were actually relatives of mine. So oh, that's I'm what so I was sorry. scared of actually. Because I didn't want my my immediate family to take that risky trip, and when I was in Lebanon, I was um, volunteering and working with WHO, UNHCR, uh, many local organizations to um, support other refugees uh, within my healthcare experience uh, and building primary and secondary healthcare centers and tertiary healthcare centers for people with thalassemia and cancer. And I remember, you know, the um, the, the feeling that I have is like, you know, even though. We are living in a hard time, but that does not justify us just not supporting other people who are suffering more than us Mm -hmm. in any point in our lives. And I think anyone in Canada, outside of Canada, always think about those who are suffering more than you, because you are not the person who's suffering the most. Trust me. Whatever you're living (laughs) through, if you don't get your double-double at Tim Hortons, if your coffee is (laughs) cold, if you're stuck in a traffic jam... 401 if you are living whatever through this is not a struggle trust me the real struggle just look at those who are suffering more than you around the world who just cannot find food for their next day who cannot get their kids to hospitals if they get sick who do not have any stability or peace and they're always on the run to find their sense of purpose and belonging so if you are living in a place where you have a um A roof over your head and you can go to sleep every night and regardless of anything else then you are much more privileged than 80 percent of the people on this planet so uh you know we have to count our blessings we have to think about those who really don't have don't have much and uh that was really that's what the refugee journey has taught me uh because we were we were a wealthy family living in syria and we were supporting other people who were living in poverty and those who did not have much, but then when we lost everything and we were just trying to escape and trying to survive because we forgot what it means to th- to thrive, we're just trying to survive, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And then that has taught us so much. That has taught us more than what I could have ever imagined. Living those three years in Lebanon have taught me to be grateful and has have certainly taught me another sense of gratitude. Because no matter what goes on in my life right now, I would always refer like, you know, any challenge, first world problems, right? You cannot even talk about it. So I feel really embarrassed. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, challenge. Uh, My internet went down two days ago. I'm like, okay, well, uh, this is not the biggest issue. That was me
0: as well. Oh, really? My Wi-Fi was down last week. And oh my God, now you've just called me out because I was livid. Oh my gosh. So it's so true. First world problems for sure. Exactly. And it's all about perspective. I mean, to be there yourself in person and see all of these people that need help and to see the desperation to get, to put your young family, in a boat to go across these huge bodies of water, freezing cold water, to get to safety. It just blows my mind that there are some people in this world that think negatively of those people and you see it in the media and how it's spun and okay. it infuriates me, really, it does, because why would that family do that if it wasn't their last resort? I just don't, I want to shake some people sometimes. So totally. yeah, it, it again, going back to how important it is to to put faces to these stories and Yeah.
1: Humanizing refugees, I guess, is the most important thing and uh, the thing that I learned the most. So, uh, when I was there, yes, I was going into refugee camps on a mobile clinic when we were prescribing and supporting, uh, within, you know, distributing medicines as, as they were, they were needed with other physicians and nurses and everyone on the, on the teams that I was, I was volunteering with. They have taught me so much about selflessness. Mm. And when you are in that position, really, you have to know, uh, that you are not living for yourself, you are living for others. Mm-hmm. And it did not really matter anything about myself, anything about my family. I'm like, we are safe, we are fine, other people are not. So let's just support others. But in 2014, I, for, I just felt that my family were counting down to death. And my, my siblings were out of schools. My father was so... Uh, depressed that he was not able to start anything. He was living just like two or three years without, after losing his business, like his, one of his children. And he was just speechless. He was not speaking to anyone. And I thought, well, we really, I really need to get my family out of there. And I applied to go to many countries. I applied to over 15 countries. I actually did not apply to come to Canada. And oh. the story of me to come to Canada was, uh, was not in my uh in my calculations. I did not really <laughs> know anything about Canada before I even here's what happened. So I I applied to many countries and every other country sent me an email saying sorry, you know, we are pretty full, you know, the applications are now just paused. You cannot travel to Portugal or Spain or the US or or Germany or anywhere. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well I, I was almost giving up. And then uh, I was doing some work at uh, my office in downtown Beirut in Lebanon. And then one night I, uh, I went down around 10 p.m. and I saw a cab and I asked him if he can drive me to see my family because I haven't seen them in a while then. And it was almost like a, a 30 minute drive. And I told him that I really don't have any money, but if he can give me, you know, any, any information, I can send him some money later on when I make some money. And then he, he was such a kind Lebanese man, and he told me, well, I'm going there anyway, so you can just come with me. Yeah. So, I was in the car with him, and he was just telling me all the beautiful stories about his childhood and everything. And he was telling me that I looked really scared at that time. I was really afraid of what's coming tomorrow. And he told me, why don't you apply to go to Canada? And the cab driver that I have never met before, I will never meet again, changed my life just within a few sentences. And he told me that there is a an application path within the Canadian embassy that I should apply to and bring my family and travel. And I had no idea who sent that person to me. I just believed that you know he was there for a reason, and he just really wanted to who was just there for me and uh you know i thank god every day that i've uh, i've met such a person with such a small act of kindness that changed my life i'm now so inspired you know to within every small act of kindness you never know where where your small oh, yeah. acts of kindness are going to get people
0: the ripple effect, because all the people that you have helped since in your family, and it's from that one man. If he even exactly. knew the, he would the never extent know. of what he's achieved, he yeah. just
1: doesn't know, and we never know. Like you never know the impact of your little acts of kindness by guiding someone to reach a location or or a, a store on 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 the street, or to guide someone and and to help them to keep the door open, or help an, an elder with their groceries, just get them out of their car and. All of these small acts of kindness, you never know where, where they're gonna get, uh, or how, how much of an impact they make in people's lives, right?
0: Absolutely. And it goes back to what you were saying with the whole roller coaster situation of life. You know, you're going to have your rock bottom times where people will help you. And pe- that's, you know, you would hope that that this is the world I want to live in anyway, where people, you're right. surrounded by kindness and those are the people around you that are going to help you and bring you up. And then when you get to the top and you find success and or happiness or even, you know, even small improvements, then you can now look behind you and say, okay, now how can I give back and pass that back to the person behind me? So I think that's really how the world
1: should work and absolutely absolutely and that was that was really what inspired me to be honest when i came to canada to uh to give back to um to support other people who needed support because uh as i mentioned we do not need much to live we only mm. need a roof over our head we can only wear one pair of pants at a time we can only sleep on one pillow I can sleep on three let's say I sleep on three pillows you don't need (laughs) a hundred pillows to sleep on but you don't really we don't really need much you know we we can we can only eat much we can only have much I have no idea what a person with a billion dollars can make within their lives they have only a few years to live and you don't need that much we are here for a reason and that reason is to To celebrate our own life and be happy for sure, but also we are here to help those who did not make it, to help those who are suffering. And we are so lucky and privileged to be in a country where people don't have to worry about their, the basics of the lives. You know, I don't have to worry about electricity or uh, drinking water or my car or getting from point A to, to point B. Uh, this is kind of, you know, the the privilege of living in a country like Canada is like, you don't have to worry about these things that they are so much you know, of a dream for so many people. You don't have to worry about going to school. There is university in almost every Canadian town and city. You don't have to worry about, you know, waking up the next day and having, you know, lost your, 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 your job or whatever because there is support systems. You can just apply for other things and you'll have networks around you to support you wherever you want. And we are in the second largest country in the world. So, everyone has a place and everyone has a chance to succeed and build their opportunities. Mm -hmm. So, that was really the main kind of line of inspiration for me because once I left Lebanon in 2015… Uh, that was almost a year after that man met me.
0: Wow. And you went with a friend. You didn't go with your family. You you went uh, initially with a friend. And That's right. You have right. a hilarious story about YouTube videos on the plane. I really want you to tell it. <laughs> That's right,
1: actually. That's right. Yes, uh, it was. Uh, it was crazy. Yes. Yeah. So the uh, my uh, yeah, you know, I by the end of 2015, I was invited to on the third plane that brought Syrian refugees to to Canada, I was um, there. I met the Governor General, but then I started making friendships around me, and there were so many people that uh, that they were they were coming to me, and you know, we really became friends. And I just saw a lot of them in Ottawa, and I was there last week. And uh, one guy came to me, and uh, really we became we became uh, friends on the plane, and he was like, "I'm really scared, Tarek. I'm like, "What's going on?" He was like, "I don't speak the language. I don't speak English." And I'm like, hey, man, you know, we have 14 hours on the plane. There is Wi-Fi. You go on the Internet on YouTube right now and you learn a little bit. Yeah. And uh, yes, and, and theory. then he was like, <laughs> <laughs> and then he was like, what are we going to learn in 14 hours? I'm like, just learn a few words. It's fine. He went on YouTube and he picked the wrong videos because he was learning about the weather from a man in, in Spain, maybe. And the guy was telling him, if you want to speak English, just say, talk about the weather. You know, and then just say, hello there. It's a beautiful weather out there. So you can't really imagine sitting there next to someone for 14 hours, repeating the same sentence again, again, again. My friend was sitting there saying nothing except, hello there. It's a beautiful weather out there. He was practicing before we arrived in Toronto, (laughs) practicing with me. And I was so fed up with him. So I changed my seat, but we landed in Toronto and then we went to the CBSA officer, the Canadian border service agency. And it, uh, it was December 18th when we landed. <laughs> <laughs> and then we did the interview. Um, everything went well. And the guy was wanted to practice, my friend wanted to practice his English. And he went to the officer and he said, Hello there, it's a beautiful weather out there. And the CBSA officer looked at him, he opened his eyes, and he was like, Are you serious? It's like <laughs> minus 21 out there tonight. <laughs> Oh so my, my friend, yeah, my friend was shocked. He went out, came back like a frozen chicken. <laughs> and then uh, he took my phone and then he went back and he said, hello, sir. It's a horrible weather out there.
0: Just change the one word. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah, so fantastic. my friend,
1: my friend and I, you know, we were so impressed how welcoming the the country was, although we were not Canadians then. We were just called permanent residents. hmm. But even if you are a permanent resident in Canada, then you have exactly the same rights as every other Canadian, except the right to vote. You have access to healthcare. you have access to employment, you have access to education, you have access to everything. You start a business, everything you want, you can do. You can learn how to drive, you can buy a car, you can buy a house.
0: Were you overwhelmed with all of that? Like all the opportunities, it's just an instant door that just opened for you from a refugee status to, to all of that.
1: Absolutely, and I, I was—I did not sleep the first night. I was just thinking that I'm wasting time. I need to do something, like <laughs> you know, billion
0: things I could do right exactly. now. Exactly,
1: yeah. and I'm like, what should I do? And then I built—I I actually built a, a top five uh, priority list for myself. To um, um, I learned the language. I focused a lot on helping my family get here. I uh, we prepared the the, the, the house. Uh, finished it before my family arrived, and then I'm like, whether I go back into medicine or we build a business for the family, and it it was just an incredible time, just an incredible time, you know.
0: And your family followed you quite quite soon after, three right? Three weeks, a couple of weeks, three
1: weeks. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I landed in Toronto, and then I came to Nova Scotia as uh, because my the sponsorship group was was here, so uh, I was uh, quite excited to land in a small town. It's a five thousand people town called Antigonish, uh which which was um you know the the dream the dream town for literally every every immigrant because i found the bigger sense of family everyone was coming and knocking on my door and asking me if i need anything and they they knew that you know as a, as a newcomer to canada that um you know probably i needed something so they 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 were coming over and we were having great times And celebrating that was uh, literally around Christmas 2015.
0: Wow. And you, and you owe a lot to that small Canadian community because they were the ones that, as you said, they sponsored a Syrian refugee family to come to Canada. So they were going around fundraising and, and doing that work to, to help a family come here, which I think again is, is something that we should do much more of. And it's something that, that Antigonish is on the map for. They had a shout out by, uh, Prime Minister <laughs> Justin Trudeau, I saw as well. And, um, that's right. That's fantastic. But yeah, what else did that community do for you? Are so many things I definitely want to run through everything that they offered you and your family because it's just such an incredible symbol of what community can do and what we oh, can do as individuals to to help so
1: yeah well the community has rallied behind us as if we were born in canada taken there taken back to syria for 25 years and over and then brought back here you know uh, there is there's a code that i can never forget that says you know every canadian and all canadians are born Everywhere around the world, but it just takes them some time to get here. Right. So, you know, it took us some time to get here and we felt home, you know, we felt home since we landed in, in the country, but also that town and the province of Nova Scotia is very remarkable. And everyone visits the East Coast and the Maritimes just feels that sense of friendliness and kindness. Everyone is so kind that they will give you almost their, the, the clothes off their, their back, you know, they, they will, they will, they will literally Give you anything you need. And uh, I felt that since I arrived in the town, we found a warm house for our family. My siblings were in school within a week. My mother was crying when she saw my siblings on a school bus for the first time after years and years. Uh, The community actually has supported us to start the business, and without them, nothing would have happened. Mm. Uh, You know, the community has supported us with our ESL classes to learn. The language has supported us to start a, a bank account and there were committees, you know, for integration and housing and employment and someone to teach you how to drive and someone to take you to show you, the, you know, the, the, the sceneries outside the town and the county. They were so well prepared. They were so well prepared as, you know, if they have been doing this for their entire life. And I was the first Syrian to arrive in, in Antigonish. My mom used to call me Neil Armstrong and, <laughs> and, and she was, she was, uh, you know, my family and, and I were just incredibly impressed and very, very motivated to restart our lives in Canada. Because if you find people doing this for you, like you better really get going and start your life, you, you know? Right. So I felt like, you know, I, I have to do something to give back to, to this amazing, town, into the province, into the country.
0: Have they welcomed any families be- behind you? Did they welcome more refugees as yep, well?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was the first Syrian to be in town in 2016, uh, late 2015, early 2016, and then now there is 150.
0: Oh my gosh! Wow. So
1: there is actually there's a lot. Yeah, there's there's certainly sense. a lot uh, a lot of uh, Syrians now refugees. I know that many are uh, also now sponsoring and welcoming Ukrainian refugees as they start arriving mm. in Canada soon. So. Um, uh, there's a lot going on, uh, you know, in the, in the town right now because they, the, the model and the example of welcoming refugees has, has been really kind of, um, um, I think it's all about the leadership, you know, in, in times of crisis, leadership shows off in, in everyone, in every town, in every organization. So when people in Antigonish were looking, watching the news and they saw Alan Kurdi washing up on the Turkish shores. Mm-hmm they thought that they can do something to help and support others who are yeah. suffering and struggling to um, to live for for their next day and seeing people die every day in refugee camps and trying to go back to their homelands or trying to cross the mediterranean in a, such a dangerous journey canadians felt that they really can do a lot to to help and we were so lucky to be among you know the the very you know first students to arrive here and restart our lives. So without the community, I give them all the credit for sure <laughs> to all the success. We have not, we would not have been able to do anything if we were not there, if we did not find that community, because I feel that, you know, we were, we were kind of uh, meant for each other. It's like, you know, we did not, it's not like we ch- chose Antigonish. Antigonish chose us. And because we were chosen, I just felt that, uh, uh, we had a lot to to give. And uh, by that sense of giving, I guess, we had a new meaning for our lives. It was not only about growing a business or getting family to school or, or, or starting something new. It was mainly about giving. And we realized that value of giving so much after we started the company as a platform to support our own community that supported us. Keeping the, the cycle of kindness.
0: Yeah and that's that's really one of my favorite of your many messages that you're shouting across the whole country with on your speaking tours and everything I think you know that's the difference between watching the news and th- seeing these just awful things you can't even wrap your head around but then it's that difference between watching that and then actually taking steps and 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 taking action and, and trying to help in any way and I know there is some you know people do worry about you know which are the right places to donate or what can I really do from this part of the world and there are things to do and it's it's important to to share what you can do and then like you said It it comes full circle because as an immigrant, you have so much gratitude for the community that helped you. So then you start giving back and and that's a whole nother discussion within the government that you're always pushing. You know, it's like immigration is so key for like building a country and for boosting the economy because Absolutely. these immigrants come and then they want to give back and they want to build communities up and they want to start businesses like your dad and give jobs to people. And, you know, there's this whole misconception around immigration that just needs to change because, you know, the, the vast majority of immigrants are just so grateful and that, and they're genuinely bringing so much positive results to the country. And um yeah, that message needs to be spread more. So it's
1: fantastic. I, I couldn't agree more with you. You know, immigrants are are a great um, um, asset to, to Canada. Um, and uh, they come here with such passion, contribution, innovation. And with fresh set of eyes, I think they screen the gaps in the country and they see where there is opportunities, they build opportunities for themselves and for their communities. So welcoming people in this country is the right thing to do. It's enriching our diversity. When I walk now here in Halifax or in Antigonish or in Toronto, I, I hear languages spoken that I have never yeah. heard before, and I meet people that I have nev- never met before, and I get to be introduced and exposed to cultures mm-hmm. that I was I didn't know anything about. So it is a blessing, to be honest, to live in a diverse place where where we are not all the same. You know, where we share so much as human beings, but there is so much else that we need to learn. So I think uh, I think that's the beauty of Canada.
0: Learn from each other. What a that's the best way to do it really isn't it? To learn from each other's experiences and the human experience. Um yeah. So tell us about Peace by Chocolate obviously you came to Canada and your dad had that business, you know, back in Syria. And he thought what better place to to start again in, in Canada and start selling chocolate and to tie it together with these initiatives to give back and supporting peace projects. I'd love you to to tell us more about the company and, and what it does today and everything you've achieved really.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So the company started under a very funny name. It was called <laughs> the the Hats Chocolate for peaceful initiatives or something was Uh really long like the name was really long
0: (laughs) that was before the marketing team (laughs) that was like that
1: was exactly that was before the marketing team just came on board uh we started selling at the farmer's market in in antigonish and we went there the first day we literally had no expectations at all like i'm like who's gonna buy chocolate from us we just arrived in the country no one knows us Mm -hmm. And we went to the farmer's market and we were sold out in literally 15 minutes or less. Wow. There was a line, there was a line of hundreds of people waiting for us to arrive oh and set gosh. up our table. I'm like, Oh my God. I was looking at my dad and I'm like, dad, what just happened? What just happened? You know, it's <laughs> we're going to need
0: more chocolate.
1: <laughs> exactly. And then within a week, we, we have you know expanded our our kind of operations everyone in the family was kind of having fun we moved from the kitchen to the basement and there was a little tiny room in the basement uh in our house in Antigonish where we're like okay let's turn it into a chocolate factory (laughs) and that chocolate factory was like you know that was like maybe 10 feet by by eight feet or something it was so tiny
0: (laughs) I bet that, it smelled amazing, yeah. though. I'd sleep there. Exactly, yeah.
1: <laughs> it smelled really, really well. So we took a corner in the basement. We we're making chocolate and taking it to the market every weekend. And the business was growing. I mean, we we got orders for weddings and then for conferences and for everything. And then in May 2016, my family and I were watching the news. And um, we saw that Canadians in Fort McMurray they lost their houses due to wildfires. Mm. And my family were crying, actually, because we said we know how it feels like to lose everything and being asked to leave. So we decided to launch a campaign uh, to donate all of our profit that we were making, selling some chocolate at the farmer's market, encouraging other newcomers to donate with us to the Red Cross and other relief organizations. And that, you know, small campaign that started with a few hundred dollars it became really multi, multiple hundred dollars, uh, within a hundred thousands of dollars within, uh, a few months and that we were able yeah. to, to, to support many people actually in the other side of the country. And then we realized that business is not, is not actually only a way to sell products. It is a way to transform communities and to support one another when we need it. So that's actually when I met, uh, my friend Neil. He, he's, he's the, the guy be, behind our, uh, the name and the slogan and everything on the like, Neil, you know, we need to call the business, uh, something else first because we need to shorten the name. It was like, okay, let's just, let's just see. Okay. I was like, I was like, I want something with peace because without peace, no one can go to work. You cannot build businesses. We tried the war. It's not fun. Let's spread this message. So peace. And then I said, I need something with chocolate because chocolate is a product of happiness. And they were sitting there at the dinner table, you know, for a couple hours and then. It was like Peace by Chalker was born. It's like the name was born. Mm-hmm. And then, um, they, I was like, okay, we need a website. Neil built a one page website with his team and they were all volunteering their times. So they were like, they heard us on CBC radio. It was incredible. You know, that sense of, of human movement because they believe in something and they believe in supporting. So within a couple of months, we got the slogan, one piece won't hurt. And, uh, we got the website and we were selling to, many people actually across Nova Scotia and many shops, what changed everything. We were watching the news in September in 2016. And uh, the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was giving a speech at the United Nations. And we had no idea what was going to happen next. Um, and, and he was talking about the Syrian refugee, you know, and how Canada the welcome people and all of that. And then he was like talking about the had family that arrived in Antigonish. I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> that mom, he's talking about us. Wow. My family were not speaking English at that time. So I was the only one that was shocked and was translating for my parents and they had no idea what was going on. They was looking at the face of Barack Obama, Angela Merkel. Everyone was sitting in that room and listening to our story. I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. And my mom was like, did he was he just talking about us in front of like the leaders? of G20, that they're going to take this message and talk to their nations. And that phone did not stop for like three days after that speech. It was our landline, my cell phone, on Twitter, just exploded everywhere. So yeah, I mean, within within a couple of months, we um, we said we need a bigger factory now. So <laughs> actually around that time and before that speech, we had a small shed outside of our factory that was built by the community. So the community has... Um, come together, plumbers, electricians, business counselors, everyone that you think of came to build a small shed for us. Wow. And uh, yeah, we were making chocolate there. Everyone was coming over, you know, to check it out. Is that just
0: their own selfish need? It was like, we need more of this chocolate. We need to build them a factory. Exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so that's helped us, you know, only for a couple of months because the demand was really high. So, within a few years after, we built a factory in in town that was uh, almost uh, 20 times bigger than the first kitchen that we opened. And uh, we opened our website, our e-commerce, robust e-commerce platform. And we were selling everywhere by 2018 and we were in major chains in Canada like Sobeys and we were selling to a lot of locations. And, uh, the, the business has certainly grown so much, not only within production and products and all of that, but within our own mindset and values because Peace by Chocolate actually, we summarize actually our values in the company within, within many, many things that goes up around passion enthusiasm advocacy contribution and excellence those are the key five values in our company Mm -hmm. that we live by every single day it's like how can we be more more passionate to spread peace and happiness how can be how can we uh embrace respect and honesty how can we advocate for good causes how can we contribute to our community and for the greater good how can we seek excellence right to to provide enjoyable experience not only for ourselves but also for our customers and everyone who believes in what we believe in that's what peace by chocolate is all about that's what we started and i hope to see peace by chocolate one of the top companies in the top the chocolate companies in canada within the next few years
0: Absolutely. And so if we wanted to buy chocolate, you can buy it from the website or from your distributors like Sobies, for example, where's the best place you ever? Can, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you are in Nova Scotia, you can stop by our stores in Tuganish or oh, in I Halifax. I wish I was
0: closer. That would be um, amazing. <laughs> is the flagship store still there and running? Or
1: It is. It is wow. actually a flagship store. Yeah, yeah, it is there. We have an uh, online store that we ship everywhere around the world right now. So anyone can order for sure, and they can check us in major chains. We have a list and maps on the website right now that gets updated. Uh, People will be able to find the nearest location for them that they can get our product
0: great and i think it's a really great idea for gifts honestly because one of my closest friends she always does that every christmas that she she gives her gifts that have that initiative behind them that are giving back in some way instead of just buying gifts that you know someone's going to use and then toss to the side it's like no you're really making an impact with your gift giving so chocolate brings happiness and you're doing some good in the background i think that's yeah just a (laughs) no-brainer totally well i just want to quickly wrap up with um listeners on this podcast they're they're freshly. in Canada or you know they've been here a few years they're still pretty new so I always ask everybody here what would be you have so many experiences but what would be your biggest piece of advice for, for a freshly landed immigrant in Canada what's one lesson that you've learned that you always pass on?
1: Um, I learned a lot actually but my main advice to them is never be afraid to think outside the box and to start your own opportunity never Think of that, that, the challenges as, as hurdles or setbacks. Think of them as opportunities to grow on every level, to grow on, the, on your, in your mindset, to grow your passion and your dreams. We live in a big country and please think as great as Canada is, that's how greater the opportunities are. So I think that a lot of people, they get sometimes, um, setbacks within the cultural shocks when they okay. land in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is a, a true struggle for many, and uh, you have to deal with it. You have to certainly talk about it to someone. You have to address it. You cannot overcome that on your own. So please seek help. But after you pass that cultural shock, then you are in the thriving mode. You are you. You have the world open to you. You can network and you can use the internet these days to find anything you need, learn about anything you need, find the gaps. Find your passion and you don't have to stick to whatever you came to Canada with. You can learn something new. You can learn a new skill and new technique. Uh, you can build something you never thought you would build or be in a field that you never thought that you would be in. Because again, you know, we, we there is no kind of one standard on one or one mold for success in Canada. The beauty of Canada is that Canada gives you the ingredients for success. And then you have to go and make your own meal and make your own food using these ingredients, right? And everyone can make their 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 own delicious delicious dish. It doesn't really have to be the same um, for for everyone. So I encourage everyone really to uh, bring their creativity with them to, to Canada because this is the country where where the most brilliant ideas are the most welcome. And uh, whenever you find yourself uh, a community that's when you will find success uh, you know a place where you can certainly call new family or community is a place where you want to be uh, build a network of good people around you because you certainly need those you know along the journey it's not going to be an easy journey it's it's not immigration is hard but canada makes it a little bit easier you know within the support systems that they are in place so Takes care of all, you know, the the, the struggles in the beginning, and then uh, you you are you are certainly on the way to to make magic happen. So I, I really hope to see a lot of uh, immigrants and newcomers continue to to succeed, to thrive, to build something beautiful for for this country. Canada is the land of um, empathy, kindness, respect, and peace, and freedoms and human rights. So because we have so much to celebrate and enjoy. I think we should not forget as well that we have a moral responsibility to give back to Canada and speak about the issues that matter. For example, reconciliation with Indigenous people. Uh, speak about social justice. Speak about, you know, everything that, that matters to your neighbors. Because you now have new neighbors and you have to care about the issues that matter to them too. So I can speak on for days and days actually about my experiences, but.
0: <laughs> oh, I wish we had days and days. I hope
1: that people would be able <laughs> to take, you know, these kind of uh, tips, uh, for, for my, my first few years here in this country and, uh, yeah I'm I'm really excited again to be sharing my my voice and adding to to the amazing message of your podcast Kate thank you so much for having thank
0: me Thank you so so much and yeah I think that is I couldn't have said it better myself to you know giving back is 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 key and to have world leaders hear your story it just shows that you know you can really the resilience involved that that you and your family have displayed to, to build this life and, and to be passing it on and to helping others behind you. I think it's just so admirable and yeah thank you so so much again for coming on and inspiring us all and, and sharing you know inspiring the next the next immigrants behind us. So thank you.
1: My pleasure thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you so so much for listening. As always, it would mean the world to us if you could leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. And then if you're loving the show so far, recommend us to your friends. Spread word and help us grow this exciting community. Until next week.